Father God, we want to thank you for uh, this incredible thing called love. Help us to know how to handle it, Lord. Help us to know how to uh, have your presence and how to embrace your purposes for our lives. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, our theme of our conference is having your eyes on the prize. And, and if you can't quite see the PowerPoint, that's fine. You'll follow along with the content. So having your eyes on the prize. You know, many of us have had our eyes on the prize when it comes to a certain picture of marriage. We're going to find this wonderful person. We're going to get together. It's going to be an incredible thing. Uh, we have all these romanticized views of just what it will be like. Uh, Cinderella and Prince Charming, you know, we're going to get together and have this beautiful, wonderful lives. And I thought, well, let me go back and see what I wrote to my wife while we were dating <laughs> and uh, what my views of marriage were. And they were very idealized. I'm going to share with you. I want to walk with you and talk with you and hold you in my arms at night. I want to listen to music with you and watch a candle flicker together and read and pray together and watch the stars. I want to warm myself in front of a roaring fire in the middle of winter, snuggled up to you and reading from our favorite book. You know, oh, you know, just, just the warm, fuzzy feelings. You know, I noticed when I went back that through all of those letters, I never mentioned children. For some reason, that just never came up. You know, I, I never mentioned that we would have arguments. I never mentioned that we would have difficulties. It was all just this warm, fuzzy, wonderful stuff. Now, there were times when we asked hard questions. But in my picture of marriage, it was very rose-tinted. And so as we think about what marriage is and as we begin to dialogue, we've got people all the way from teenagers to people who are more mature. As we think about marriage, we're going to be examining the biblical way versus the worldly way and seeing if this idealized picture of marriage can actually happen or what are the dangers along the way. Because it's easy for the Cinderella stories to become horror stories somewhere along the way. Somewhere along the way, uh, we drop out of where things should be. And the, the statistics are pretty horrifying. 60% of all marriages between the ages of 20 and 25 uh, end up in divorce. So when you get married at that age, if you're, if you're 18 and under, that divorce will happen rapidly, normally within the first 10 years. So that's pretty horrifying. I just want to imagine if you were sitting on a plane right now, and I'm coming up to you as your, as your host there, you know, and I'm just uh, welcome to the plane. We're so glad you're flying with us. Uh, as you settle in, we just want to let you know something. There's a six out of 10 chance that this plane will crash. How many of you still want to go on the flight? <laughs> you're like, no, get me off of here. This is terrible. You know, uh, we're already afraid of, of planes right now. And, you know, this would just make it worse. But many people go headlong into marriage, headlong into relationships, even though the statistics are terrible. So some people say, I'm not even going to get married. We'll just live together. Well, then it goes up to 80, 80, 81% chance that you'll have a breakup. Within five years, you'll be moved out. You'll be broken up. So cohabitation is far worse than marriage. And so no wonder people, are, you know, are a little scared, some of them, and other people are, seem to be oblivious. I, nothing will happen to me. It'll be great. How could, how could something so right 
that feels so right ever be wrong? Have you ever heard that from your friends? <laughs> and so how are we going to relate to you know, dating and to marriage when we just know there's this huge statistic that says that it's going to end a divorce? And of the ones who are still married, guess what? A lot of their marriages are not great. And so how can you not end up as part of these terrible statistics? That's what we want to have a look at because it is a shocking truth. And uh, don't follow Hollywood because Hollywood marriages are no good. Now, anyone know who this is? Kim Kardashian, right? She was, uh, this was her first marriage. It lasted a whole 72 days to Chris Humphreys. 72 days. But that's pretty long compared to the next person I'm going to show you. Anyone know who this is? Britney Spears. This was 55 hours. You know, uh, that was while I was actually in Tahoe at that time. And uh, there was, uh, you could tell, there was lots of people coming and going. Uh, this is at Lake Tahoe. And uh, just a lot of media. We did, what's going on here? Well, she had gotten married over the weekend and, and broke up before the weekend was done. And uh, how do you do that to a childhood friend? It was one of her friends from childhood. So uh, we don't even have pictures of them together because it was so short, you know, they didn't capture it. So this is what Josh Harris says, and it's, it's really profound. He says, the world, that's Hollywood, takes us to a screen on which flickering images of romance and passion play. And as we watch, the world says, this is love. It's beautiful. It's incredible. Look at how they're in love with each other. But, he says, God takes us to the foot of a tree on which a naked and bloodied man hangs and says, this is love. You know, a very different perception of what love is. You know, one is founded in the warm, fuzzy feelings, and the other is founded in this radical commitment that says, I'm going to do whatever it takes because of my covenant with this person. And so, do you want a covenant or a contract. And there's a difference. Many people enter into dating and into marriage as if it's a contract. And a contract says this. A contract says, I'm going to do this for you as long as you do this for me. And that works for a while. You know, I'm going to come home and bring the money, and I'm going to uh, bring some fun and entertainment, and I'll give you massages at night. And in return, you're going to make me feel wonderful and cook the meals, and, and, and you're going to uh, dress up in a nice dress. And so they form a contract. But after a while, people get selfish, and they say, oh, I don't want to fulfill my part of the contract. And then they fall out of love. And the other person says, but look, you're not fulfilling your contract anymore. You said you'd do all these things and you would make me feel happy. And now you're no longer making me feel happy. That's no good. I, I want, you've got to fulfill your part of the contract. But God has something called a covenant, which is based on a love that is sacrificial. It says, I'm going to do things for you. I'm going to help you even if you reject me and you abuse me and I have to go to the cross for you. And so that kind of radical love is something that's missing in today's world because we believe that marriage will make us happy. And uh, that is actually false. They traced, they, this is from the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, they traced 24,000 people over a 21-year um, period and they asked participants every year to rate their level of happiness. And what they found was that the average boost from marriage was pretty small like one-tenth of one percent. Now, if you were unhappy, it was different. 
marriage was going to make you really unhappy. And you can see why. You put two unhappy people together. Whoa. <laughs> That's crazy. But, but marriage doesn't add to your happiness. People who have happy marriages were happy long before they got married. You're not going to become happy when you get married. Marriage is simply going to be happiness in a different stage. And so we can't think that the warm, fuzzy feelings are just going to get better and better, and marriage is going to take care of this. We're going to have our Cinderella marriage, and it's going to be wonderful because that's what Hollywood believes. And the result of that is a mess. So uh, falling in love, I believe, is a wonderful thing, but it's also a dangerous thing. Because when you fall, it's often unintentional. My wife and I had a, a, have a little illustration that really brings this out. My daughter uh, was cavorting on our couch uh, at the age of about three or four years old. And, and my son, uh, he had just had a poopy diaper. So uh, we took his diaper off right next to the couch. My wife is, is uh, busy changing his diaper. So she pulls off this poopy diaper, puts it there, and then she's changing my son. And my daughter's going about on the couch and loses her balance and falls face first into that poopy diaper. <laughs> and uh, she wasn't uh, thinking it was funny at the time, but you know, she gets up and she's, she's just covered and, and we have to clean her off and we have to you know, take care of my, my son. You know, it's, it's a little traumatic for a moment. But we realized in that moment in time, falling is not a good thing. <laughs> You know, you don't want to fall into things because when you fall into something, you don't know what you're going to fall into. <laughs> now, follow the analogy. This time, when you fall into love, you just don't know what kind of emotions are going to happen as a result. That has happened to me a number of times. I have been attracted to and had strong feelings for totally the wrong person. Uh, there was one time when there was a wedding going on, uh, I was a campus chaplain, so I was already a pastor, about 20, uh, 25 or so, and uh, there was this wedding going on of one of the students, and I was at the wedding, and one of her friends came to the wedding, this cute red-headed girl, and she started, uh, you know, making eyes with me, and I, I was enjoying the attention because I was single, and that afternoon, the wedding party wa- went for a walk on the beach, and we're just walking next to each other, and I don't know how it happened, but suddenly her hand touched mine. Bzzz. There was this electricity, this chemistry. Come I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And so there was this, and, and so uh, my hand is kind of drifting close to hers. Maybe you could call it holding hands, but it was just kind of very casual. And uh, then we're having a wonderful time. We're talking. You can feel the energy. Everyone's starting to pay take notice, like, ooh, something's going on over there. And, and then we, we end up sitting down that night. We're having a great time. You know, we start sharing things. But then as we start sharing, there's still this, like, strong chemistry. We start sharing. And the way she starts sharing with me about, you know, how she approaches life, she was like this very emotional person, Pentecostal, um, didn't believe what I believed in a number of areas and highly emotional and I'm kind of more steady and I have my Adventist faith. And it's just the more we got to know about each other, I eventually blurted out, you're completely different from me. <laughs> now, we, fortunately, that was the end of that, you know. But in that moment, we had been attracted to each other. We had felt these strong emotions 
But were we suited to each other? No. And so many times, how many of you, or let's see if you're brave here, have experienced attraction to somebody who's not a good person for you? Okay, at least a number of you. And then you think, what was I thinking later on? Well, that's, love is wonderful, but falling in love can be very dangerous. In fact, we've, we've shown that dating is dangerous through a number of things. Um, and I'm just going to throw out some ideas that I have about why dating and falling in love can be dangerous. Number one, when you have these strong emotions, you could end up marrying a loser. Have you ever met somebody who married a loser? Now, we had to call anybody a loser, but you certainly met people who dated a loser, right? What if you end up marrying that loser? I mean, that's pretty, pretty tragic. Your hormones and rush of feelings cause you to overlook really important areas because you're blind, and we'll cover that in a moment. You're just blind. You can't see what's, what's going on here, and you end up marrying the loser. Uh, there is a one in three chance with younger dating relationships that it will be violent. One in three. I mean, so you've got this rush of emotions, and then there's violence or manipulation, and there's a lot of this going on, and you just can't pull out of it. Uh, you end up sexually involved with someone before marriage because of these strong feelings. Uh, you cut off other important friendships, like we're exclusive. It's a natural tendency. When you're in love, you want to be exclusive, and other people can't even talk to you. It's like, it's just us. It's just wonderful. I just want to be alone with you. I want to, I want to walk with you. I, let's stay up all night together because we can just talk. This is wonderful. This is incredible. Why did no one ever tell me what this incredible feeling was like? And then your other friends are like, hello, we're out here. Can you hear me? And, and they can't. Uh, and then you will likely break up. I mean, if marriage is such a high uh, potential, there's a breakup, you, you could have a breakup. And a breakup is incredibly painful. It increases the risk of homicidal thoughts. You know what homicidal thoughts are? Thoughts of, of either killing someone else or yourself. It, it just increases that. Um, it's compared to divorce, sometimes even considered more painful than some divorces, a breakup. And it's compared to the pain of losing a child. So do you want to go through that? It's like, woo, it's so much fun. Oh, I'm dying. The breakup is terrible. Any of you had breakups or know friends who've had breakups? And you know what it's like. Yeah. It's like this incredible pain uh, that they go through. And then you could throw your life away. I remember dating somebody who said, you know, I'm really not into ministry and I'm not into the things you're into. And I said, I'll change. I'll change. I'll, I'll, what do you want me to do? I'll leave ministry. I mean, how terrible is that? But I was so driven by this infatuation that I couldn't even understand what I was doing. So the problem that's going on here is something we call the tingles. Now, what are the tingles? Well, you're sort of hanging out. Maybe you're outside here at one of these meetings and somebody walks past. And, and why you're attracted to certain people, we're still figuring out. But for some reason... They, they fit kind of a picture in your head and the chemistry goes off and there's a part of your brain that lights up and then they start flirting and you start getting to know the person and you feel this tingles. It's like, and it's just tingling. This is great. Wow. You know, um, you know I had, let me just hang out here a little more. This feels really good. So you have the tingles and you believe that the tingles are love. And they are a certain kind of love, what we call uh, the early stages of romantic love. It's a feeling love. And, and you have that, but it's not the kind of love that will enable you to stay married. 
Uh, this is what uh, one book says, and this is a, a great workbook by Rajan Becky Tirabassi. It's, it's not the easiest to find, but you can find it on the internet. And it's, uh, it says, it's like working with people on drugs. Natural chemicals such as dopamine, endorphin, serotonin, and oxytocin can have the same reaction as an illicit drug. Dating and engaged couples find themselves in a chemically induced condition. They have the uncanny ability to focus on their partner's positive strengths and traits while really noticing the reality of their partner's weaknesses. And the best story I have of this is this couple came to me. They'd been dating, I think, about a week. And we invited them over for lunch. And so I asked them, how's it going? Oh, it's great. This is wonderful. This is incredible. So I asked them, have you ever have you had any conflict? They go, conflict? We don't have any conflict. I said, well, why not? He goes, because, you know, if I ever want to know what she's thinking, I just think, what would I be thinking in that situation? And that's exactly what she's thinking. <laughs> I was like, Woo, let's see how that works. And then a year later, I asked him, so how's that going? I actually did their, they, they actually made it through, and I did their engaged uh, couple counseling. And uh, he says, I can't believe I said that. She doesn't think like me at all. <laughs> but in that moment, in the rush of feelings, they're doing things like, you like the color blue? Wow, I love the color blue. We must be meant for each other. <laughs> and like, uh-huh, right. <laughs> so the color blue decides uh, how much you are like each other. They did studies. Dr. Helen Fisher from New York did some studies on brain scans on people in love, took 160 people and then compared it with some other studies. And she actually found that there's a certain part of the brain that lights up when you're in love. And this part of the brain responds. It's the same part of the brain, by the way, that does pain management. So uh, if you feed a drug into the brain, and uh, like cocaine or something, and it affects how much... Or, uh, or heroin or something like that that will help to manage pain and make you feel kind of wonderful for a short time, that they found that the same part of the brain lights up when you're in love. So no wonder why people, when they have a breakup, immediately look for another relationship because it makes them feel better and it takes care of the pain, but not always in a good way. So this part of the brain lights up and it stays lighted up. And then she compared it about two years later to see how well if the brains were lighting up in the same way. And they were not. It changed. Couples who were dating later on, this area of the brain, it kind of starts to dissipate. The impact of these in-love feelings on that part of the brain, it just subsides over time. So people who feel this incredible love say, wow, this is incredible. I can't imagine that anything would ever cause me to question my love for my partner because I know I have them do assessment tests when they come to me in love. And one of the questions I ask is, could anything ever question you to, uh, ever cause you to question your love for your partner? And they say, no, nothing. And then, then I tell them, you know, actually you will. Times will come where you will. I don't know a single married couple that, it, that at a certain point in time didn't say, wow, does he really love me? Do I really love him or her? They may not say they want to get a divorce, but they just question, is this the right thing? And so, when you study people in love, you recognize that studies suggest that romantic attachment is more powerful than the sex drive. Neurologically speaking, it's easier to say no to physical sexual passion than it is to regulate the rush of emo emotional infatuation. So once you fall in love, it's like, bang! All of these uh, neurons start firing. 
And, and you are in this moment of in love in a phenomenal way. You, you can't think clearly. You can't evaluate clearly. You're drugged. It's, uh, it's kind of like an hourglass, though, because you give it a period of time, and as I said, about two years later, sometimes it doesn't even take two years, and I'll tell you a story in a moment. And uh, once, once you fall in love, you're running that hourglass, and that feeling-based love is going to run out. It's just a period of time. Maybe it'll take a day. Maybe it'll take two years, but typically no more than, t- than two years. And just if it's only feeling-based, it'll eventually run out, which is why so many marriages end in... Divorce. And you know what they say to me? Almost inevitably, when they come for counseling, they say, I, d- I don't love him or her anymore. We've fallen out of love. I say, well, something is going on here. What's happened is you chose to base your love on those feelings, and the feelings are going to come and go. But this, these powerful endorphins and everything else that are flooding your system, they come and go, and you can't control that. And that's not going to be what's going to make your marriage last. I was, uh, I traveled to go and see someone in a different country. I was in South Africa. I traveled, this was in Africa. I traveled up to the country to the north that I'd been born in, Zimbabwe, to go and, and meet up with this girl who I liked. We'd been kind of corresponding and, and the, the, the feelings were coming. And I wondered, you know, how much does she like me? So I went on my way up there, I, I caught a ride, I kind of hitchhiked, caught a ride, and eventually caught a bus to the town where she was. And I was, I was so excited, you know, on this bus, even though it was a chicken bus. I mean, this was Africa. Literally, we had, I had a chicken sitting next to me <laughs> and uh, in, a, in a little basket and covered, you know. But there were chickens, and it was noisy, and then the bus broke down. And because it was Africa, another bus came along. We all managed to fit in the next bus, <laughs> like double the number of people you could fit in that bus. And finally, I made it there. I'm dusty. I'm dirty. I've got my bags, but I'm off to see this girl. And I arrive there, take a shower, get to see her. It's going really well. I mean, her family likes me. She likes me. I'm, I'm over the moon. And her dad says, hey, why didn't you guys, uh, why didn't you guys go out and do something tonight? And I was like, what can we do? He says, hey, why don't you go to the drive-in? Now, I didn't typically go to movies, but I was so much in love with this uh, girl. It's like, okay. He gave me his pickup truck, puts a mattress in the back of it. Maybe he thought because I was a theology student that I'm safe, you know. Puts a mattress in the back, and he sends us off to the drive-in. So you know what a drive-in is, right? You, where you park outside and you watch the movie outside. So I, uh, we park there, the back of the truck pointing towards the screen, and we're sitting in the back of the truck, and uh, the movie's playing, and the, the music starts playing. I'm looking across at her. There's this beautiful music. I'm looking at her. It's picture-perfect. And, uh, and she's there, my hands creeping across. You guys can imagine the scene, right? The hands <laughs> creeping across. And I'm just like, wow, it's finally happening. After months of writing, I'm here. Can't believe this. And uh, I, I, I slip my hand across and I say, will you go out with me? She looks back at me and she goes, yes. Now, this should have been the moment when, in my picture, everything just went perfectly. But for some reason... I don't know what happened, but that love, love drug just stopped right there. Just, and it's like the screen cracked, not literally, but, you know, the music kind of turned down. And I'm, I'm staring across at her, and I'm thinking, what have I done? 
you know, I don't know anything about this girl really. I, why am I here? And, and her hand was a little rough and for whatever reason, the little rough hand, because she was a farmer's daughter, little rough hand just like, just did something to me. And I'm touching her hand and I'm going, farmer's daughter, I, 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 I'm not good at farming. What, what am I doing? And it's just like in that moment, the love drug was turned off. And, and she's, she's staring at me because she's still in the mood, you know. And, and she says, did you hear what I said? I said, yes. And I'm like, ah, that's great. <laughs> and I went home and I was like, what have I done? What have I done? And the next day, I had to break up with her. Yeah, terrible. Because I'd followed the emotions. I had been driven by the drug. And when the drug stopped working, it was like, just like that. It was over. Any of you known people with it? It's just like a switch is turned off. Now, for most people, they can't turn off the switch. In fact, it's almost involuntary. They don't know why they're in love, but it's just there. I, I remember, you know, moments of being in love. I'd, I'd go out to the gym, and as I'm pounding uh, on the treadmill, it's like that girl's name would be going over and over in my brain. It's just, it's just like saturating my being. I couldn't turn it off. So I didn't have control over that switch. Are you seeing what I'm saying? That switch was there, but I didn't have control over it. It was just like it was on or was off, but I didn't have control. And I realized in the moment, if I'm going to choose a person based on this emotional switch that turns on and off, then I'm going to be in love, out of love, in love, out of love. But that's a terrible way to choose a partner. So something else has to happen. And I can't rely on that little emotional flip switch if that's a good way to turn it. So this to choose a partner because this whole idea is you're going to just find the one and you'll just know doesn't work it just doesn't work you you don't just walk up to and i just know you know now some people they happen to be it's okay and they get married and it works out you know and praise the lord but that's really risky because there's probably at least a four in one chance that it'll be the wrong person that your your switch flipped on for for me it took six wrong choices so, I, you know, if I'd married any one of those six, it's great meeting ex-girlfriends now because I, I come home uh, and, and I say to my wife, I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Because I, I realize that they just would not have been the right person for me. So if you're relying on that switch, that switch is faulty. It'll turn on and off at the wrong times and, and you can't depend on it. So you have to be careful of this hourglass that, that just takes away because those feelings will not work. Uh, this is what I love. Gary Thomas says in The Sacred Search, on your own, you're making a bet with lifelong consequences while in a mindset that has been proven to be at least somewhat delusional. <laughs> it's sort of like signing a mortgage or buying a business while drunk. You need to dry out a bit and think this thing through before you commit the rest of your life to someone you can't objectively evaluate. So this way of choosing a partner is disastrous. And so we want to suggest to you as we go through the seminar some other ways, because doing it the wrong way will often lead to breakup, heartache will lead to, or a marriage that is fundamentally challenged. And so I want to suggest to you through the seminar some alternatives to how we can effectively do this. And uh, it, it changed with me when I read a book called Ica Stating Goodbye. Now, it's a good book. Uh, in the end, I've got some constructive critiques of it. But for me, it was a critical book at a critical time. I had had six girlfriends. 
And I'd reached the point where I said, the way I'm doing this is wrong. I keep choosing based on feelings. I, I think it's going to work out, and it's a disaster. Surely there has to be a better way. Oh, you, you really want to know? At the age where I read this book, I was yeah. 26. No, through the six girlfriends. Through the six girlfriends. I started at 19, and I basically had one a year, but some of them were only like three weeks long. I'm not even counting the one I dated for one day. Because, you know, that's kind of hard. Yeah, she was my girlfriend for like 22 hours and 40 minutes, you know. <laughs> but I was, 20, I was 26 when I read this. So I'd had basically one girlfriend a year. And uh, then my last girlfriend had been, um, I was actually at the end of that relationship. And that, was, that had been over two years I dated that girl. And I thought I was going to marry her. And there are some reasons why that didn't work. And I'll share those with you. So this book challenged my thinking, and as I was thinking it through, I was like, man, maybe I have done this in the wrong way. Uh, and this book suggested there are seven habits of highly defective dating. And uh, here, here are some of them. It says, look, dating leads to intimacy rather than to commitment. You know, because the whole point of dating is I can now hold your hand. I can feel those rush of hormones. We can be exclusive together. We can hang up just the two of us together. And uh, you have intimacy. In fact, these days, people hold hands before they date. It's like the first move. You know, you're hanging out, just like happened with that one girl on the beach. Our hands touch, and that's like the first move. And you, we weren't dating, but intimacy had occurred. Uh, dating tends to skip the friendship stage of a relationship. Because the problem here is that, you know, when you're dating, you go immediately to, let's go on a date. You're sitting in a candlelit restaurant. Uh, you can't even really see each other. Um, you, you, you're not really talking about deep things. Or you go out to a movie. How much conversation takes place in a movie? But there you are sitting in a movie or at this restaurant, and your hands go across. You start holding a hand. You know nothing about her or you know nothing about him. So uh, this one, you just go straight over the friendship stage and we're in a relationship. Dating often mistakes a physical relationship for love because there are such strong love feelings attached to it, these romantic feelings. It says this must be true love. But of course, it's just these feelings, it's this chemically induced uh, effect on your brain. And pretty soon you have what I call instant intimacy. Uh, instant intimacy is that we get to know each other a little bit, and we're getting very physical very quickly. Uh, this is, you know, this is benefits without friends. <laughs> and so this, is, this becomes a problem, and we even do this with God. You know, with God now, we don't want to do the hard work of Bible study and prayer. So what we expect is that we'll come to a worship service, and if the music's played just right, we'll have instant intimacy with God without any of the hard work. And this is a lot of what dating is like, too. It's like I'll have instant intimacy, but I won't have to work hard to get to know you or to get to work things out. I'll just have this instant intimacy. And so this is the typical way that worldly dating operates. I'm calling it worldly dating just to distinguish it from what we're going to identify later on as, as a biblical Christian approach. Intimacy comes first. I feel close to you. I feel these great feelings. It's based on physical attractiveness. And someone once said, you have to be careful for that for several reasons. One of which is a woman's body will change far quicker than her character. So that's what you're basing it on. So um, 
intimacy then leads to commitment. I feel so close to you. This is wonderful. I'm holding your hand. Let's start dating. And then only do you start discovering things about each other and you start getting knowledge. Okay, this is what you like. This is what I'm like. Whoa, we're actually quite different. We're suggesting that uh, that has failed. I think that the story of our generation's pursuit of fulfillment in relationships is this. Here, this is Josh Harris in indicating the problem with this. We wished for intimacy without obligation. We wished for sex with no strings attached. We wished for the pleasure of love with none of the work, none of the vows, none of the sacrifice. And we got it. But the results aren't what we hoped for. And we're left feeling emptier than before. Why? Because the intimacy is, what's that key word? You probably can't read it there. Superficial. The sex leaves us dissatisfied and hungry for something real, something true. Where is true joy? And he suggests, here's where it is. It is found in God's brand of love, love that is founded on faithfulness and rooted in commitment. So instead of intimacy, commitment, knowledge, I'd like to suggest to you we reverse that and do this in a different way where we begin with knowledge really find out what a person is like, evaluate their characters, evaluate their goals, their ideals, their beliefs. We'll talk about how to do that later on. Then move to commitment, which is based on that knowledge. And, and then ultimately commitment leads to intimacy. So your intimacy must be in pace with the level of your commitment and knowledge. And if you allow intimacy to get ahead of commitment and knowledge, then you're back into a drug-induced state where you can't think and you can't reason. So this flowing intimacy, knowledge, uh, commitment needs to be reversed to uh, knowledge, commitment, intimacy. All right, so that's, this is how it should be. Uh, then he goes on to make some other critiques, Josh Harris does, of dating. He uh, mentions some things like uh, dating often isolates a couple from idle, other vital relationships, their parents, their friends, their teachers because it's all about exclusiveness. Dating distracts young adults from the primary responsibility of preparing for their future. Who can study when you're in love? You know, it's like you're reading the words and, and his or her name is coming out of the words like a genie, you know. Hi, here I am. <laughs> Just think about me. You find yourself staring out the window for like two hours. You're like, what are you doing? Oh, nothing. And there are images of the two of you walking hand in hand, down the beach, you know, there you, you can see it in your mind's eye. And who cares about doing anything else when you've got these great thoughts to think? Um, dating can cause discontentment with God's gift of singleness. You know, for a time in your life, singleness is a good thing. It helps you to prepare academically. It helps you to prepare physically for your life. Uh, it gives you time to do ministry. You know, Paul says that when you're married, uh, your, your first responsibility is to your spouse. And so when you're single, you have a great opportunity for preparation and for ministry. And so that's a gift to you. And you're throwing it away by constantly being in relationships can be uh, throwing away God's gift. And then dating creates an artificial environment for evaluating someone's character, uh, particularly when you're dating online. Because uh, online you can say anything. You know, you, you can paint yourself. Yeah, you know, I really love to do this. Even reading back over my letters. Uh, I just see how I, I was phrasing myself in a way that would look good to her. I kind of would think about what she would like to hear, and then I would rework what I was saying about myself to make it fit that. 
And I can only see it looking back, because at the time, if you had asked me, are you doing this? I would say, no, no, I'm being honest with you. You should see the level of honesty we have in our relationship. <laughs> but now looking back, I can see, yeah, you know, I was twisting things. And we do that when we date, and it's all about events that are manipulated to feel great, like going on dinners and movies and things like that. So it's very artificial. Uh, you, you maybe can do what one of my friends did. She had a guy interested in her and she wanted to evaluate his character. So she arranged for a flat tire. <laughs> so they're driving along and the tire goes down. She wanted to see how's he going to react. And he was just so calm. You know, he got out there. He just took the tire off, put the other one on. There was no anger, anything else. She said, that's the guy <laughs> because of how he reacted in that situation. So you can do some real things like that. I took my uh, fiancé-to-be on a canoe trip with a, a church group and uh, just to see how she would react and how I would react. And there was one incident which tested us because uh, we were going to have a campfire supper and everyone had brought potatoes to put into the campfire, but she had never cooked potatoes in the campfire. Of course, she wasn't going to admit that to me. So she wraps them in tinfoil, but they were just little potatoes, wraps them in tinfoil. And I was like, I am so hungry. Typical guy. I am so hungry, you know. And so she wants to go quickly. So she takes the potatoes and puts them right into the heat of the fire. And then she goes away thinking it's going to be like 30 minutes. Well, 30 minutes later, we came back, we pulled the potatoes out, and they were just black on the inside. She could see them smoking. That's how we knew to pull the potatoes out. <laughs> and we pulled them out. It's just like black. And she's like, well, maybe if we peel the skins off, it's still okay on the inside. And uh, so she walks away, and everyone's kind of laughing at my potatoes. And so I start making jokes. You know, she must think that I'm some kind of God because she's brought me a burnt sacrifice. <laughs> so she comes back just as everybody's laughing. And like, what are you all laughing at? And then it goes silent, you know, that awkward moment. <laughs> and then I say, I was just like joking about the potatoes <laughs> and how they were like a burnt sacrifice. <laughs> I could just tell this was going downhill. But you know, the good thing was how we worked through that conflict taught us a lot about each other, more than going out on a dinner date with a fancy meal would ever have taught us. And so you need places where you can find out about the other person. And dating creates that artificial environment with a lot of hormones and a, a lot of good food that doesn't necessarily help you do that. And the problem that you're going to have ultimately with this form of dating is that you are bonding very quickly to another person and often with a very physical bonding that takes place. And so what happens, because you have all this intimacy, it's like gluing two pieces of wood together. Now, if you've ever glued two pieces of wood together, when you pull them apart, what happens to each piece of wood? It takes chunks of the other piece of wood with it because it's so well glued together. So in the same way, when two people have been bonded, particularly physically intimate, when they break up, when they realize we're not suited for each other, they feel incredibly connected to the other person. And, and that bonding, and it's very hard. Now, if you take that piece of wood with other pieces of wood stuck on it and you try and glue it to another piece of wood, what happens? It's very challenging because you've already got pieces of wood on there. You're going to have to, like, plane it down and sand it down, and eventually, over a period of time, maybe you can glue it back together and, and you can do a good thing. 
it's inevitable when you've bonded deeply with a person that you think about them for the rest of your lives. Did you know that? The people you break up with, you'll think about for the rest of your lives. That's why there's Facebook stalking. I wonder what they're doing now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have the sense of connection with them for the rest of your life. And so be very careful with, with how, you, how you go through this process because you're making bonds for the rest of your life and you're going to carry that baggage into any future relationship. So as I read through Josh Harris's book, I realized there has to be a better way than the way I have been doing it because the way I have been doing it had been leaning to a broken heart. And I was tired of either breaking their hearts or of my own heart being broken. Uh, and anyone who's been through a break- breakup knows just how painful it is. It leads to depression and suicidal thoughts. You feel like you just can't continue another day. And, and sometimes some crazy things can happen. I would say after I broke up with my girlfriend who I had dated for two years, that for the next two years I thought about her every single day. And if I'd done this differently, I wouldn't have had that. Now, it did get better for those of you who've gone through breakups, like, oh, no, it's going to be like this for the rest of my life. It does get better, but it's still something that is incredibly traumatic to the heart. And so the question we have then is, what do we do with these love emotions? How do we go about doing this successfully? We know the way not to do it, but how do we do it successfully? You know, what do we do with these strong love emotions, the strong attraction to someone else. And our suggestion is, instead of falling in love, let's crawl in love. Let's take some time, slow the process down, and let's learn how to crawl into love in a way that we can allow knowledge to come before commitment, which comes before intimacy. Uh, in, the, in terms of the book Adventist Home, I love this phrase, make haste. Slowly. <laughs> yeah, in other words, rush. I know you're in a rush, but take your time. I, I know you want to move ahead, but slow down. Make haste slowly. And if you do, good things can happen. The prize can be achieved. And so uh, as we go through this seminar, I'm going to give you a chance to be able to, uh, to reflect on God's way versus our way. And I can tell you it worked in my life because when I started rushing with, my, my, uh, with this girl that I liked, Nicole, that I'd met in the States, uh, and I wanted to give her a hug, even to say goodbye, she said, no, you can't hug me now. You are crazy because <laughs> I was in love. You're crazy. Go home. Think about this. We need to take our time. And her forcing me to slow down, her forcing me to take my time, led to a marriage that has been incredible. So that's what I want to share with you, and I'll share a bit of our story as we go through this seminar. But I want to encourage you as we do this. Honestly, doing crawling in love is the only way to really do it without huge pain, without huge consequences. And uh, it's the way that I'm going to suggest to you uh, throughout this weekend. Let's pray together. Father God, we all have our eyes on the prize. We want a successful, happy relationship. But we recognize that dating is not always the best way. The way we've done dating, where we've put feelings and intimacy first, and then we've moved from instant intimacy to instant commitment, and then we've only discovered the challenges we have with each other. Oh, Lord, help us to slow down, to take you into our plans, 
to learn what it is to truly love, a love that is based on principle and not mere feelings. And then as the feelings grow and as the feelings catch pace with that knowledge and that awareness of the other person, help us to know how to manage those feelings and how to end up with a relationship that glorifies you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.